Good evening and welcome to the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program sponsored by Heritage Baptist Church in New York City, a church that is committed to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in an atmosphere of love. Please join us this hour as Pastor Matthew Recker opens the Word of God and then brings others, including you, into the conversation. Tonight, we'll seek to have a dialogue that will glorify God and will show how the Bible is relevant to everyday life. Our desire is to lead people to salvation in Christ and encourage believers in their spiritual growth. Join us and build up your own heritage of faith. Hello, and thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program with our host, Pastor Matthew Recker. We are coming to you live this Sunday evening. My name is Micah. I'm the Ministry Assistant at Heritage. And tonight, if you want to be part of our conversation or if you want to call in for prayer, you can do so, and our phone lines will be open for the hour. Phone number is 929-333-3739. Pastor Matt, I'm not with you in person this evening, but I was still able to join on Zoom for service this morning, and it was a great service. I was thinking that it's so awesome that we have the technology where people can join our service without being there. It's obvious, Micah, that you're not with us because you sound like you're on the moon. Man, <laughs> you do sound far away. But uh, I'm glad that the technology allows you to be here with us. I, I see you on the Zoom all the way from Alaska. So thanks for being here, Micah. And I'm glad that you did join us on Zoom this morning. And we had a wonderful service with our missionary who's going to Benin. And they were a, such a blessing to us. And yes, listeners, we'd love to have you come visit Heritage Baptist Church in person. But if you can't visit in person, it's very easy to connect with us on Zoom. So how did you do that, Micah? Uh, you know, I went on the website, hbcnyc.org, this morning at 7 a.m. I was actually going on a hike to see the sunrise here in Alaska. But I listened all the way up the mountain. And you just you just go on there, and one of the first things that pops up, it says, join us live on Sunday morning, so at 11 o'clock in the morning, you could just click on one Zoom button and you're in to watch the service. Yeah, uh, well, thank you, Micah. Thanks for your heart and dedication to be with us, even though you're working hard over there in Alaska and and far away. You could have you could have opted out tonight. So thanks, brother, for being with us on our Heritage of Faith Conversations program. And, Great to be here. Yeah, and I just want to give a shout-out to one of our listeners, a longtime listener, Sister Anita. A dear sister lives right there in Manhattan. And she, Anita, thank you for listening, and thank you for sharing uh, with us at the Heritage of Faith Conversations program. And I got your note. It was very lovely. And may God bless you. And we're we're really excited as well to have with us one of our deacons and his wife, and they lead in our music ministry at Heritage Baptist Church, Brother Sid and his wife, Ruth. So thank you, Sid, for being with us this evening. Thank you, Pastor, for having us. And Ruth, and, and tell us a little bit about your musical expertise. Ruth, what, do you, what kind of music do you enjoy doing, and where, where, what's your strength musically? Um, well, I'm a violinist, and I play the piano, too, um, and I... Currently, I do a lot of teaching, so so I do have a lot of students. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You have your own. You started your own music school, and God is really blessing you and your music school. And maybe somebody out there would would like a music teacher. So there you go. You can give us a call at nine two nine three 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 seven three nine. That's a free commercial. There you go. <laughs> and uh, brother Sid, what's your area of music that you're expert at? I I play uh, percussion and drums. Uh, 
that's also what I studied. But uh, right now I'm more focused on doing uh, music ministry for church, song leading, joining yeah. the choir, and other stuff. For uh, there's events at church. Amen. Time to go there. Amen. Well, you do a great job, both of you. We're so blessed to have you. Uh, in our in uh, serving the Lord with us at Heritage and and with us tonight on the radio and we are going to look at one of the most profound teachings of the Bible this evening as we talk about the five linked chain of God's grace. I call it God's plan that leads us to Christ likeness. This is how God brings us to be conformed into His image. It is a five linked chain. Five beautiful words that speak of God's work that lead us to Christ-likeness. So we're going to read just a couple verses this evening, Romans chapter 8, actually three verses, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. And so, Micah, if you could start us over there in verse number 28. Yes, Romans eight twenty-eight, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Sid. I'm sorry. For for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Okay, let's pray, dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you so much that you have glorified uh, the believers because of what Jesus Christ, your son, did on the cross, Lord. So as we talk about this passage, Lord, I just pray that you give us your wisdom and your spirit, and we pray that it is a blessing to all. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So we move from a beloved verse that is so simple, everyone quotes it when they're in trouble, verse number 28. And now we move into some complex things that very few understand. But before we get into these complex things, let's just go back to verse 28, of course, where Paul says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called, according to his purpose. And so we talked a bit about this a couple weeks ago, but Sid and Ruth, let's just kind of review this thought of, of what is good. God says that all things work together, and we know that all things work together for good, so how exactly does God define good, I think, is the question. I mean, is good that you're not going to have any problem or you're not going to have any pain in life? Is good that you're not going to have any financial struggles or health problems? What exactly is good? And Have you ever had a trial? <laughs> Was that good? So let me throw it over to you this, e this evening. Um, Sid, why don't you start us off? What do you... How do you define good, and does God define it differently from us? Uh, definitely, yes. It's a, your good is not the same good. It's not even as good as what God's good is. So uh, let me take it by example. My, there's, there's, uh, I had this experience that my dad was diagnosed with cancer. You can think of all the bad things that's associated with those words. Those are all yeah. true. But that trial... How no matter how bad it was, it 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 bear good fruit. My dad got saved during those trials. So yeah. even though you know, I we don't have him with me right now. He, he's not alive anymore. But I know in the future I'm gonna see him oh, in God. heaven. 
Yeah, praise God. I mean, when we hear that word cancer, we think of definitely something not good. Or if somebody's fired from a job, not good. But if that leads that person to come to Christ or be more like Christ, then that's the good that God is talking about. Ruth, do you have such an example like that? Um, Yes, uh, Pastor. Um, For me, I think it can be like disappointments from things or people that we would normally or I I would have thought I would I thought of or people we would normally think as good you know like good people <laughs> good men um, and that can be really discouraging and painful right and yeah. um, but I think um, I, I've had that share of experiences and I think I've come to learn that really there's only only God is good and um, even if it feels like you know you come across very across various like all things work out together for good and sometimes you humanly speaking you're trying to wonder what's the good that's coming out of this because it's there's i don't see anything um but i think um something that i learned is that um just being able to develop a closer relationship with god and um just viewing it as an exercise to become more christ-like and just be learning how to access his grace that is you know it's actually already available and sufficient for us, I think that is good. Whether humanly speaking, we won't see anything good, but uh, we get closer to God, and that's good. Yeah. In other words, some people that we expect to be good people, good men, (laughs) can do painful things that are not good, but then God can use it to work for good. Amen. Because God is good. Ultimately, God is all good. In in my situation, I remember I I was in Dunkin' Donuts on 8th Avenue one night, and I was in line. I know that surprises you to get a cup of coffee. <laughs> but uh, I got a phone call, and it was a lawyer for the building at 519 8th Avenue where we, we had rented for years. And he said, I'm just calling to tell you that, that we're not going to uh, renew your lease. And meanwhile, I had been waiting for them to give me a price on the amount uh, for, for our uh, the. Uh, space we were renting in that building, and all, and just so cold. I said, "Man, that is so cold." We because we had been renting in that building for I don't know 15 or some odd years, and all of a sudden, and I won't get into the reason why, but they decided they're not going to rent to a church anymore, and and to me that wasn't good. But God actually worked it out for good because getting kicked out of that office space, I said, we need to buy something for ourselves. So we ultimately ended up buying our wonderful condominium space at 633 3rd Avenue. So I really believe getting kicked out of that space at 519 8th Avenue was good. In retrospect, it led us to buy 633. Micah, do you have an example of that? I, I do. I, You know, we had our program two weeks ago on Romans 828, and I think later that night I actually heard some more details on a certain story, and it's, it's maybe similar to Sid's example, but there's a lovely woman in our church who about two years ago, she wasn't part of our church yet, and at that time, she was having major health problems that worried her, and in that moment of worry, she wanted to make sure that her will was in order and that her kids, she has some underage kids, that they would be taken care of if something happened, so not having English as her first language, she actually reached out to a woman in our church for help. And that woman, she did help her with the will, but eventually she was also able to lead her to the Lord. Praise God. And Mm. there's there's many wonderful details about that story. But my point in sharing it tonight is that this trial of suffering, um, you know, thinking that her health was in crisis, it led this woman to reach out to a Christian. And having had the seeds of the gospel planted in prior years, she actually came to Christ. So this seeming negative in her life, her great trial, 
turned out to be for her good and for her ultimate good in that it brought her to the place where she found the Lord. Praise God. And that is what is good here, dear friends. Not pain-free living, but what's good is verse 29, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren, that we will be conformed to the image of his son, whatever leads to me and to you being conformed to the image of his son and assured that we're his child, that is ultimately what is good. So as we look now into verse 29 and 30, we're going to focus especially in on five different verbs And they all have the exact same tense and mood voice structure in the original language. And what I mean by that, these five verbs are that God foreknew us, he predestinated us, he called us, he justified us, and he glorified us. And notice the personal pronouns he, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. And then it says that he... Uh, I'm sorry, verse 30, that he, the predestinate, he also called, and then it says he also justified, and he also glorified. So he, 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 and for each one. And who's the he there? It's God. And it's a past tense. Each one is a past tense. So this is what God has already done according to his point of view. And it's real action. This isn't what he might do. This is what he has done. And so that's the tense and the, the voice and the mood. God himself actually doing something that's already complete in his sight. And I don't fully understand how all this works out. And I cannot put it together fully in my rational mind. And that's okay. Because I love Deuteronomy 29. If Deuteronomy 29, 29 has any application to any certain doctrine, and I'm sure it has application to various doctrines, but you know what Deuteronomy 29, 29 is. That's where it says the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. And if there's any doctrine that it really contains the secret things of the Lord that he alone can fully understand in his infinite mind, it's when we talk about his foreknowledge, his predestination, his election, his calling in our lives. And I don't use Deuteronomy 29, 29 to hide behind and just as an excuse, well, we can't understand that because Deuteronomy 29, 29. But I really do believe Deuteronomy 29, 29 must relate to this passage in some kind of way. And I want to say something else here just as we start. And this is important, dear friends, because if you are not saved, but you want to be sure that you're saved, a child of God, on your way to heaven, you can know that you are his child. And there was a certain radio preacher, and his name was Harold Camping. I'll just say it on family radio. He's now no longer alive. But I used to listen to him, and he was such a hyper-Calvinist. He would say, even if you cry out to God and pray to God, but if you're not the elect, then you can't be sure whether you're saved or not. Beloved, that is not true. If you meet the conditions that God has laid down for us, which is 
believe in your heart the Lord Jesus Christ and repent, change your mind toward, toward God, toward the Bible, toward sin, yourself, and you repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you can know that you have eternal life. You don't have to be afraid. Well, what if I'm not the elect, you know? That's what I want to say. Don't, it, it, th- th- that's God's pers- uh, point of view. That's God's work. Our job is to meet the conditions he has laid down. So if, if I believe on the Lord, then I would just I could just rest in that, that I'm his elect, and that God foreknew me, and he predestinated me, and so forth. So we're going to look at these five beautiful words, and I call it a five-link chain of God's grace. And so we're going to get into the conversation in just a moment, but first we're going to go to a song, and if you have any questions about this, Or if you need prayer, we have two wonderful sisters in the Lord tonight who will take your calls, pray with you. If you need any counsel regarding situations you're going through, maybe you've just been diagnosed with cancer, and that is a trial. And if you want to have somebody bear that burden with you, you get to us right now at 929-333-3739. We'd love to hear from you right now at 929-333. Three 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 seven three nine, and we're going to talk about five links of God's chain of grace when we get back. It is not death to die to leave this weary world. Saints who dwell on high, who found their home with God. It is not death to close the eyes long dim by tears and wake in joy before your throne, delivered from our fears. Jesus, conquering the grave, your precious blood has power to save those who trust in Aside this earthly dust and rise with strong and noble wing to live among the just. It is not death to hear the key unlock the door that sets us free from mortal years to praise you Yeah. 
that it is not death to die. not death to die, dear friends, when you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And so that's our great desire for everyone. So we're going to look now into Romans chapter 8 and verse number 30, where Paul says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So this word foreknow, let's talk about this. It does not merely mean advanced knowledge of something. I mean, we know we have to pay taxes on April 15th or that the sun is going to rise tomorrow. But that's not the foreknowledge that really is being spoken of here. It really speaks of an intimate knowledge that speaks of an approval of someone beforehand. And it's an advanced determination to carry through a plan by his own gracious will. So the idea here, for whom God did foreknow, he had an advanced determination to carry through a plan by his own gracious will. And I'm just going to give one other verse here in Amos chapter number two, or chapter number three, verse two, where God says, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. So obviously God knows all the people. He knows all the nations. But he says specifically of Israel here, you only have I known. In other words, in an intimate way that shows his approval, his choosing, his election, and an advanced determination to carry through a plan of his own will through national Israel. So that's the idea here of foreknowledge. It doesn't just mean an advanced knowledge of something. So we're going to look at other verses that use this term for knowledge. And so why don't we start, Ruth, with you. If you could take uh, one of those verses and you could read the scriptures related to it and then tell us a bit about how the word for knowledge fits into the verses that you're going to cover. Sure, Pastor. Um, So... uh Acts 2, 22 to 24 says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, 
ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Um, so these passages that I, I just read is is interesting because you can you can if you read you know the Old Testament, uh, it actually the Bible has spoken about this already, and I, I'll quote um, in Isaiah 53. Uh, verses 3 to 5, um, it says that he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried away our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's interesting because the verse after that, and even, even the verse that I just read, I think I can relate it. To us and um, personally to myself, like uh, the verse, verse five says, he continues on as, um, but, but he was wounded for our transgressions, our meaning. I can take, you know, myself included, so I can even take this to my own. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, my iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Um, yes, yeah, yeah. Amen. Yeah, and so the idea of that verse again is that it, that Christ, his person, and his life and his sufferings were all predetermined by God. Every aspect of his suffering, which is amazing. So just as Israel, as I quoted from Amos chapter three, God had an intimate knowledge that led to his election of them. Jesus Christ is God's elect son. He is the elect, Son of God. There's none like Jesus. And God knew his Son in that sense and had a predetermined plan. And every aspect of his suffering was predetermined, whether it was Judas's betrayal, Peter's denial, the Sanhedrin's brutality of Jesus, or the Roman scourging. It was all by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. And yet that doesn't eliminate man's human responsibility. Every man, Judas was responsible for his betrayal. Peter was responsible for his denial. Herod and Pilate were, were responsible for delivering him up to down the cross. And so here we see how God's determinate counsel and foreknowledge works with man's responsibility. And it, it boggles the mind. It's the secret things of the Lord. So, Michael, what's another verse there? That's that use this word foreknowledge. Yeah, well, another time uh, this word foreknowledge is used is in Romans 11, verse 2. And, you know, Pastor, this also goes back to Israel. The context here is Romans 9, 10, and 11, where Paul is explaining God's relationship to the Jews during the church age. And the apostle is arguing against the idea that God has abandoned his people or replaced his people or broken his everlasting covenant with them. Yes, God foreknew that the Gentiles would come to know him, but Romans 11:2 it starts out saying, God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. So God foreknew the seed of Abraham. He had foreknowledge of those who would come through Isaac and Jacob and then the t- 12 tribes. God foreknew them from eternity past, and this verse tells us that he knew he wouldn't give up on them. Um, it certainly is interesting to think about the satanic opposition to this people group and God's favor of them. Uh, we see this dramatically playing out in real time. We talked about that last week on our program. And as always, the scripture is clear that it's not that these are perfect people, just like no people are perfect, but God did choose them. And so the opposition to these people that God chose 
it's going to continue until yeah. the king of the Jews comes back to rule and reign. Absolutely, Micah. That's great. And dear friends as well, foreknowledge that God foreknows something and has this intimate knowledge and he has a particular uh, interest, if you will, and he has chosen national Israel through which to bring the world, the word of God and the son of God. And God isn't done with with Israel. One day all Israel will be saved. But that doesn't mean that if Israel sins and Israel has sinned many times, they even rejected Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean that God God causes man to sin. God is not touched with sin. God does not sin. He is holy. And so God's foreknowledge doesn't mean causation. In other words, God knew Adam was going to sin. But God didn't cause Adam to sin. Adam sinned of his own free will. And so God's foreknowledge does not eliminate man's responsibility, nor does it eliminate man's free will. And so this is where it boggles the brain. We have to just trust God and believe what the Bible teaches. So, Sid, what's another word where this word for knowledge is used? There's um, one interesting word that the translators used. Instead of foreknowledge, it was foreordained. But basically they came from the same yeah. original word. Uh, in First Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, it says, But with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was preordained, uh, foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in this life last times for you. So uh, Christ was foreordained, uh, as, as Peter was saying, even before the foundation of the world. Uh, Micah chapter 5, verse 2 said, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of this shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old, mm. from everlasting. So uh, I think that what, that's what Peter was talking about. Here. And even even Christ's birth was uh, uh, for, uh, foreordained in Isaiah 7, uh, chapter 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Even the name was already known. And even in the future, when Christ comes, it's already foreordained it's already uh we know that it's going to happen revelations uh chapter 22 12 and behold i come quickly my reward is with me to give everyone according as his work shall be and even in matthew 24 uh, 30 i think it's uh, christ himself saying i will come again so uh with that uh because uh, foreknowledge of foreordained is just n- not just mere knowledge it's something that just know, but it's something that is true, and that is not that it, it's going to happen. Yeah, amen. And the amazing thing is, is as Jesus' life, his birth, as Sid just well said, his death, as Ruth spoke about, was foreordained, and as God foreordained to call Israel, and has a plan with them, He foreordains every person that He saves. As it says in First Peter chapter one and verse two, and this is the last place where this word foreordain is or foreknowledge is used, where it says that we are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And again, this is not just God just simply knowing something, you know, something little, if you will, about us. It's an intimate knowledge which speaks of an approval 
to bring about our election and then an advanced determination to carry through a plan that will lead to us being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And so, dear friends, we are foreknown like that, as God foreknew Israel, as God foreknew his son. We also are foreknown by God that he has a plan, a wonderful plan for our life to make us like Jesus. Micah? Yeah, I just want to, I love listening to the prophecies that Sid had read from uh, various scriptures. And it's just so cool when you think about God that, you know, he, he had said all these prophecies through his prophets, you know, hundreds of years before these things happened. And that's really, you know, if it, if it comes down to it, you know, that is one thing that separates God, Jehovah, from any other God, is that he says things are going to happen and they play out exactly as he said. And the likelihood that that would be a guess or, you know, just a man's word is zero. So that shows Mm -hmm. us that we have a God who is the God of the universe. Amen. So God calls us. He foreknows us. He calls us into the sphere of his wisdom. And then he calls us under the sovereignty of his will. He has predestinated us, as it says in Romans chapter 8. So that's the, the second if you will, link, or the second jewel of this chain of grace. He has foreknown us. He has predestinated us. Now, the word predestinate, we get our word horizon, horizon, from this original language word. And so it it speaks of the boundaries of our vision. And so the horizon kind of marks off the boundaries of how far we can see. And so here it says that God did predestinate us. And the vision that God has for us is to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the, that's the vision of God's horizon, if you will, for us to be like Jesus. Wow. So this word appears in just uh, five New Testament passages, uh, six times overall. So twice here in Romans chapter 8. In verse 29 and 30. So just a few times in other places of the scripture. So let's look also at where this word appears, this idea of predestination. So we're going to start with Micah on this. Micah, if you could start us off, where else does this word predestinate appear in the New Testament? Yeah, well, one of the verses that uses this word predestinate is 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7. And I'll read that one and then the verse immediately following, which speaks on the main topic, which is the crucifixion. And I believe the word is translated ordained there, but it's predestinate. So 1 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would have they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So again, this verse, it puts a time stamp on the origin of God's knowledge. And it is a mystery, just as the Deuteronomy passage is that you read earlier in the um, episode, Pastor, um, because the stamp, the time stamp, so to speak, it says before the world. In other words, before time began. So it's impossible for us to wrap our minds around eternity past. And the Apostle Paul recognizes much calling God's foreordaining a hidden wisdom. And now Paul is making it clear that only God held this hidden wisdom because man had not known it or understood it. Man might have gotten in the way. You know, he says that for they, had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So, no, the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus all occurred exactly according to God's will and God's plan 
because he had predestinated every detail. Yeah, and so that word predestinate is translated ordained, right, in that in that passage in verse number 7, right, Micah, which God ordained before the yeah. foundation uh, of the world unto, unto our glory. So God foreordained. And, you know, it's interesting how these words that we're looking at, foreordained and now predestinate, how they are related to the sufferings of Jesus Christ so often. Isn't that amazing? And again, it's because God had a plan for him to suffer, and it certainly didn't look good on the surface, but it certainly worked out for uh, every, his good, the glory of Jesus, who's seated far above all at the right hand of the Father, King of kings and Lord of lords. It worked out for our good that we could be saved, and, and yet we see man's evil will at work, but never thwarting God's ultimate predestinated foreordained plan. So I, I just think we see how this works in the death of Christ, and then we could see also how it relates to our lives. Micah? Yeah. Well, I just, that's why I think that um, it really is a mystery. You know, that's why we, we talked about it at the beginning, just that each person who was responsible within the story of the crucifixion, each person is held responsible for their own sin. They made right. that decision. They had their own free will. But in the end, it was actually God's predestination. So it's, it's something that we can't fully wrap our minds around, but we can trust it and have faith in it. Yeah, and and I'll just say it this way too. You know, when it talks about when, we, when the Bible talks about God's foreordained, predestinated plan, that He is God, and His ways are not our ways, and and I don't fully understand all of God's ways, but we trust them, and then we have a will, and we make decisions, and we're responsible for our will and the decisions that we make, and and so. How those two things work together, it, it is a mystery, but we, I, I, I hold on to both of them. I don't deny one for the other. So, um, so there you go. So, Ruth, let's look at another passage of Scripture that has this word predestinate in it. Um, yes, Pastor. Um, so Acts 4.28, uh, it says, For to do what whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Um, and this this verse refers also in the time of like the crucifixion of Jesus. And um, I think it's very interesting to see like that, again, hundreds of years before that, um, G- Christ, um, God has already determined even the details of how it was going to be done. Um, and just, you know, there's a lot to be said about this, but um, I'm just going to go back to Isaiah 53, uh, verse 12, and um, verse 12b, it says, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, uh, in, in which, you know, his blood was shed for our for the remission of our sins. And it goes on and says, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and uh, we know that Jesus was crucified, uh, you know, with the thieves, like yeah, the, the criminals. Right. Um, and again, this is in hundreds of e- years before um, the Acts 4 verse. And then it also goes on that says, Isaiah 53 goes on and says that, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And we know um, in, in the New Testament, in Luke, Luke 23:34 it says um, that Jesus actually did pray um, and he said father forgive them for they know not what they do um, so you know there, there's a lot of details that 
it's not only the event that that God has predetermined, but also also the the very little details that it really happened um, down to the very word that he has meant. Fantastic. That's exactly right, Ruth. And so even in that one verse, <laughs> there are two specific fulfillments that you will brought to our attention. And just to underline them, that it's that verse said that he would die with the transgressors, and that was fulfilled with Jesus being in the middle of two thieves, and then that he would make intercession, and that on the cross, when he said, Father, forgive them, he was fulfilling scripture. That is so amazing. And so all of this, dear friends, was predestinated by the Lord. Where's another verse, Sid, where this term predestinate appears in the New Testament. So in Ephesians, uh, first chapter of Ephesians, this word also appeared in First Ephesians 11, in whom we also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worked all things after the counsel of his own will. Now, we've been hearing a lot of sharing the sufferings of Christ. So mm. This is a good one because uh, we're going to inherit something uh, great. Uh, with Christ, and it's also predestinated. What are those things? We have, uh, aside from being free from all pain, sickness, uh, death, and mourning forever, we're going to obtain that in uh, once uh, we are glorified with Christ. We're also going to receive a new body like His, as is said in First John uh, three, uh, chapter three, verse two. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not ye appear that we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And also, uh, being like him in nature when we see, uh, oh, sorry, uh, oh, that was being like him in nature. And the receiving in uh, new bodies in uh, Philippians, uh, I think, uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 21, it says, Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. That's right. Praise God. That's wonderful, Sid. That's true, dear friends, that God has predestinated those who love him, those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He has a vision of your future. And what is in your future is you will be conformed to the image of his son, and he has predestinated you to the adoption of children, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. That's the other place where this word predestinate appears. And then Ephesians 1.11, as Sid just brought out. And this passage of Ephesians, by the way, it's, it's a hymn. And the theme of the hymn is to the praise of the glory of his grace, that he would predestinate us to be his adopted child, that he would predestinate us to receive an inheritance of heaven itself. Praise God. So, we're called under the sovereignty of his will. That's predestinate. And then we're called under the sound of his word. He has called us. So, going back to Romans and chapter number 8, it says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. And whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And so, Micah, how is this word called used in the New Testament, and how does this relate to our salvation? Okay, yeah, well, 
in doing a word search on that word call, I saw that most often it's used in one of two ways. So the first way is like named. So Luke 131, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Or Matthew 529, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. But the second way that call is used is the way that Paul employs it here in Romans 8.30. And it's like beckon to come. So I think of, you know, like a woman ringing a cowbell to let the farmers know that it's dinner time. And she rings it, and they, excuse me, and they all come in from the field. So Jesus used it this way in his parable about the laborers of the vineyard. I'll read Matthew 20, verse 8. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, call the laborers and give them their hire beginning from the last unto the first and this is the way that paul uses that word saying them he also called so not only does god foreknow our soul salvation but there's also this moment of calling and we can be sure that god calls each one of us just like jesus called his disciples and i'll just finish with uh first corinthians 1 9 it says god is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his son jesus christ our lord And dear friends, God calls you to come to him tonight. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And if we can pray with you, give us a call. You can call us as God calls you. Call us at 929-333-3739. Give us a call right now. There's someone out there, Micah, there's somebody out there that is confused about their salvation, knows they need to call upon the Lord, is feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit right now, and you know God is drawing you to himself to put your faith in Jesus Christ that he would be your Savior and deliver you from sin. So call us right now at 929 333 Three seven three nine. We want to help you. We want to pray with you. Now there is this. This word is used as well in in two big ways when it relates to salvation. It's used in a general sense, in which God calls all men to come to Him. We could speak to anyone and say, "Come to Jesus. He's the Savior of the world. He died on the cross for your sins. You can come to Him." And whoever comes to Jesus, he said, I will not cast you out. So there is a general call. But Jesus differentiates a general call from what is often termed an effectual call or the call to salvation. So, dear friends, you've heard the general call to come to Jesus. But will you hear his internal call? Will you hear his call in your own soul? so that you would say, I must respond and believe in Christ. I feel his call in my own soul. And that's the effectual call, dear friends. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, many are called, but few are chosen. So the many called is the general call. But the chosen are that is that internal call. And that's how Paul is using this term. And actually, that's how Paul only uses the term call. He speaks of this effectual internal call where those who respond in faith, as it says even in Second Thessalonians 2.14, whereunto he called you by our gospel 
to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Dear friends, God is calling you by the gospel right now. Jesus died on the cross. He went through this suffering. It was planned. It was foreordained. It was predestinated so that you could be his child. Will you come? Will you believe? Okay, so we move now to the fourth, if you will, gem of God's uh, ring of, uh, or, or a necklace of grace, a five-linked chain of God's grace. And he justifies us, and he calls us under the shadow of his wing. So, Sid, Paul has referenced this term justification many times throughout the book of Romans, and so we hear it and we see it once again in Romans chapter 8 and verse 30, whom he called, them he also justified. And so what exactly, again, can you remind us what this great word justified means? Okay, uh, justification is God freely and by his grace declaring a believing sinner righteous. It's not only in, only in Romans, it's also in Acts chapter 13, uh, verse 39. And by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which you could not be justified mm. by the law of Moses. And also in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh, flesh be uh, justified. So the moment we, belie we believe in Christ, God instantly and completely justifies us. Our works do not improve or increase our justification before God. The work of Christ alone gives us peace with God that will endure forever. Our righteous standing before God is secure because of the work of the sinless Lord Jesus uh, uh, did upon the cross and in rising from the dead. Amen. That's, a, that's exactly true, dear friends. And some people may say, well, all religions are the same. That is absolutely not true. Because this justification is only for those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's complete. It's done. Our works don't improve our justification. When we believe in Christ, it's what God does. He justifies us, as we said earlier. And it's a done deal in his sight. Micah, did you want to add to that? Well, yeah, I just wanted to um, remember that, you know, Paul, throughout this book of Romans, you know, he's speaking in such stark contrast. You know, he talked about dark versus light, flesh versus spirit, slave versus sons. And I looked up the word justified, and the very last time that it's used in the Bible is in the last chapter of the Bible. And Jesus is almost doing the same thing. He's really providing this contrast between those who are sons of God and are going to be welcomed into heaven and those who are not. So I'll just read Revelations 22:11 that mentions this word. He says, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. And here's the contrast. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And that righteous, that word righteous is justified. It's the same word. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. So as we know, it'll be the justified that will be welcomed by Christ into heaven. And as Sid said, you know, this is now the secure standing that when we become believers, we now have. Amen. So, dear friends, we're looking tonight at this five-link chain of God's grace. He calls us by his wisdom. That's his foreknowledge. He calls us according to his will. That's his predestination. He calls us by his word. He calls us. And he calls us under the shadow of his wing. He has justified us. 
And lastly, he calls us into the splendor of his eternal world. It says he glorifies us. And so, Ruth, as we come to this final link of this chain of grace, Paul concludes that in God's sight, we're glorified. So what does this mean? That he has glorified us, especially in light of our struggle with indwelling sin. Uh, well, I think the word glorified here is really in its past tense, which I think um, em- amazingly emphasizes that um, God's perspective, that even though we are struggling here right now, in, you know, in our bodies, in this in this earth, um, for God, God, God sees us as already um, being with him in, in all eternity, being glorified. Um, and I think it's great to see here that it focuses upon God's faithfulness, that he will perfect and finish the work that he has begun in us. Um, and even Philipp- Philippians 1, 6 um, says of such things as, be, it says that being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So um, we can see ourselves, you know, even if we're struggling right now, I think that's the hope that we have as Christians, that, you know, we are already glorified and we know that, um, you know, our the end will be us with Jesus or being with Jesus. And I actually wanted, wanted to read um, this verse soon in Romans 8, 17 8, and 18. It says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be it, we suffer with him, that we may be also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Amen. You know, when I looked up this word glorified, too, over and over and over again, it, it talks about me, us glorifying God. For example, Romans chapter 15, it says that the Gentiles might glorify God. It's used 62 times in the New Testament, and it's almost always used in glorifying God. But in Romans chapter 8, it's God who glorifies us. That is just so amazing that we who were called to live for his glory, when we become saved... We live for his glory, and God looks at us now as glorified in his sight. God looks at us as as we will be in heaven for all eternity right now. That That's just the grace of God. Micah, did you want to give us a closing word here? Yeah, well, I just think, you know, the fact that God glorifies us, that doesn't actually say anything about us. That only says something about God, <laughs> his character, that's good. and how much he loves us and how good he is. Um, there's a great passage, I won't read it right now, in Ezekiel 16, where God is talking about Israel, and he describes them as, you know, a, a child that's thrown into an open field and left an orphan. And what he does to that child, he picks it up, he dresses it, he clothes it, mm. he puts a crown on its head, and that's what God does to us. So if, if you want that, and you should want that, listeners, if you want that, you can have it. God can give that to you. Amen. Thank you, Micah. God bless you out there in Alaska. Say hi to your Mom and Dad, as you work hard, and we'll look forward to seeing you back. Dear friends, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, but lean on the the God of glory who will glorify you when you believe in Jesus Christ, and he will conform you and look upon you once you believe as conformed to the image of Christ justified in his sight. Good night and God bless you.
Thank you for tuning in to the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program. To find out more about Heritage Baptist Church and our service times and locations, visit our website at hbcnyc.org. We stream multiple services online each week, including 11 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7.15 p.m. Wednesday nights. All are welcome, and you can find links to participate in our services on our website, hbcnyc.org. And join us again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for another Heritage of Faith conversation sponsored by Heritage Baptist Church. Until then, rejoice in the Lord.